maybe today is a day for pressing forward because that's what my message is about. And as we hear the scripture today, remember that in physical terms, Paul wasn't in a good place. He was in prison, but he was still pressing through. So whatever situation you're facing today, this message is for you. Just keep on pressing through. Um, Caleb, my son, was wondering why this rope was left on the side all week. He's going to find out today. <laughs> and um, don't worry, I haven't put anything in the talk about you guys. I haven't used you in any of my examples. I don't know whether you'll be pleased or disappointed, but there we go. <laughs> this morning, we're continuing our exploration of Paul's letters to the Philippines, and we've reached chapter 3, verse 12. Before we read our passage today, let's remind ourselves about who Paul was and what he had achieved. This will help us put the passage into some perspective. Paul's first appearance in the Bible was as a killer, a killer of Christians, a persecutor of the Christian faith, a man on a mission to hunt out Christians and have them killed for their beliefs. Then we see God meet with Paul. Paul had a clear encounter with the true and living God and this dramatically transformed his life and changed his mission and his priorities. Paul, in our passage today, describes the moment as Jesus Christ taking hold of him. At this moment, Paul's mission changed from persecuting Christians to serving them. Paul got busy spreading the gospel, planting churches, he worked at transforming himself continually into the likeness of Christ. Paul's priorities had changed dramatically after this encounter. We see Paul go on to accomplish an amazing amount in 20 years. He planted churches, he wrote many letters, sharing his faith and encouraging people to stand firm in, the, his faith, in their faith. These letters form a huge part of our New Testament, and they have shaped many cultures, including the one we live in today. Paul's focused life made him a world changer. He discovered the key to prioritised life. I wonder this morning, what are your priorities? Take a moment and consider your top five priorities. Our priorities change through life. Mine have changed considerably over the years. At the moment, they look something like this. God, he's always first. And the others are in no particular order, but they're my priorities. My family and friends. My work and church. Myself and the stewardship of all that God has given to me. Today's passage explodes with Paul's passion for his calling. It reveals his determination to press on to his goal Part of Paul's ability to accomplish so much is defined in our passage today. He shares the key that drives him forward with such passion and determination. Let's read that passage. It's Philippians 3, 12 to verse 4-1. Not that I have already attained all this, or have I already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, 
I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Amidst those incredibly powerful and encouraging words, we find Paul's key, the driving force that enabled Paul to determine his priorities. It lies in the words, but one thing I do. All our priorities begin with a, but one thing I do. A defining one thing, our central priority. And this one thing helps us to set our priorities in life. We need a one thing to define our goals. The book of Acts and Paul's epistles reveal that he lived a real life in real circumstances with real options to choose from. Like everyone else, he had to decide what to do and what not to do. Obviously, he made wise choices. He pursued the matters that matter. When conflict arose, Paul had the ability to choose well. Paul knew the one thing that gave definition to his life and all his priorities grew out of that central focus, that one thing. Priorities help us to say yes and no to things that matter and things that don't matter. Far more, having a consuming priority redefines how we say yes and how we live to make that yes a reality. Paul is writing these words from a prison cell. He's already accomplished much. Yet, from his prison cell, he's still driving forward, pressing on through his hardship to reach his goal. Paul pens the words, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He presses through because he remembers the day God took hold of him and that moment redefined his life and his priorities. He knows God took hold of him for a purpose and that purpose has become his life goal. It was this one thing, this consuming priority that enabled Paul to accomplish amazing amounts in just two decades of ministry. Do you remember when Christ Jesus took hold of you? When God grabbed your heart and the scales fell from your eyes? Since God has taken hold of us, what might be some of God's purposes in taking hold of you?
Paul shares the key, his one thing. The one thing he does, forgetting what is behind, he strains towards what is ahead, pressing on towards the goal. Paul says, forgetting what is past. To be able to press forwards, we need to focus ahead on the goal. This means forgetting what's past. Here's three things we can think about forgetting. Three things that might be restraining us from moving forward. The first one is, we should forget our past wrongs and failures. Paul was a killer. He had to choose not to look back. Paul's memory of wrongdoing, of his persecution of the church, could have paralysed him with guilt and fear. But he forgets the past. He refuses to look back. He has abandoned the unworthy goals of the past and is in pursuit of new goals. His life is refocused. He's focusing on becoming more like Jesus. Paul's moving forward, not looking back, forgetting the things of the past and keeping his focus on the things that are ahead. Don't let your past mistakes and wrongs hinder or stop your race. Forget what is behind and press on to the goal. Another thing, the second thing I've got is, we should forget our past success. Paul had achieved so much. He could have rightfully told himself, I've done more than most men will ever dream of doing. I've done more than most men that I actually know. We should rejoice over all God has done in our lives. But like Paul, we must focus on what is ahead and the things not yet done. Thinking of past victories will encourage and remind us of God's faithfulness. But eventually, we'll need to leave the past behind and turn our eyes to the present and the future because you can't go forward while you're looking back. Yesterday's victories are for yesterday. Yesterday's good reports are for yesterday. And yesterday's accomplishments are for yesterday. Your future is what's important. Let the Holy Spirit speak into your heart. Be willing to accept what he says. Thank God for your victories. But keep your eyes on the future. Keep marching forward to fulfill every detail of the vision God has placed in your heart. Don't let yesterday's victories allow you to sit back and think you've achieved it all. Don't let it stop you from moving forward and pursuing your goal. And then the third one, we should forget our past hurts, the mistakes of others, the things that others have done that have stung us on our journeys. God did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. We all fall short of God's glory and we need to let go of the hurt we experienced due to other people's mistakes, however intentional or unintentional they might have been. We need to forgive as God forgives. We can't always forgive and forget, but we can choose not to remember we're not responsible for other people's actions. They are responsible for their actions before God. We are responsible before God for our actions and our responses. We have no control over what others do, but we can control and are responsible for how we respond. 
we can live under the shadow of hurt and let that stunt us and hold us back. Or we can stand in God's victory. We can forget what is past. We can take hold of the future God truly has for us. And that choice is ours. Hold on to the lie. Or forget about it. Put it behind you and exchange it for the truth of our glorious inheritance. That which God has taken hold of you for. Choose to walk in the victory of God's truth because his banner over your life is love. Paul had figured out what he stood for. He'd identified his purpose and was pursuing it with passion. He was not going to let the circumstance of the past stop him from moving forward. He's pressing towards his goal. Now is the moment we get a glimpse of that goal and that prize. Paul is pressing forward to win the prize for which God had called him heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's have a look at what Paul might have seen when thinking about that call heavenward. Years ago, I saw Francis Chan use an excellent illustration. He pulled out a long rope. He called it He pulled out a long rope to represent the timeline of the existence for eternity. Okay? He called it the timeline of our lives. A small end of the rope was coloured red. This part represented the length of our life, our earthly life. The rest of the rope was white. And this part, all this here. I told Philly how to rescue me if I got tangled up. (laughs) This part here represented our existence for eternity. The rope stretched across the whole stage and there was seemingly never end to the coil that was at the far end of the stage. Chan made an excellent point that so many are living just for this little red part Pleasure and comfort consume our lives in the here and now. Then he went on to say how ridiculous it was that we put so much focus on this part of our life. This teeny little bit here. We worry so much about this one part of our lives. Chan then said the choices we make in this tiny little part here will affect all eternity. All that length there. And we only get one chance. So many people sacrifice eternity for this little bit here and now. We forfeit eternity for the little pleasure of a little sin. The smallest part of our existence consume us. And we fail to see the perspective of eternity. At the end of this short life, we will all stand before God in judgment. And all that will matter is whether or not we have followed Jesus. Paul had really grasped hold of this eternal perspective. This understanding of his heavenward call was the driving force in his one thing. Paul's goal that determined his priority was getting to know the Lord and living well as he could on earth, 
before entering God's presence and seeing him face to face. Paul's prize, eternity with the master. The prize would only be attained by Paul reaching the goal at the end of his race and not before. So he had to press on. Paul then calls us to follow his example in following Christ, calling us to walk as Christians and live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. He says, live up to what you have already attained. Follow my example. Live as citizens of heaven, reaching towards a heavenly goal, not allowing yourselves to be distracted by worldly or ungodly influences. Paul understood the power of influence, and Paul's words are striking. I have told you before, and I warn you again with tears in my eyes. He speaks with grief as he refers to those who are enemies of the cross and those who set their eyes on the earthly things. Paul wants us to understand that we have a dual citizenship We live on earth, but heaven is our true home. Far more important than our time on earth is our heavenly citizenship and destiny. We have a responsibility to live as foreigners and pilgrims while we are here, holding on to a bright promise that awaits us all as citizens of heaven. We will be transformed by Christ's power into Christ-likeness. Since this is our glorious future, it should have some profound implication for the present. We are on a journey to our eternal homeland. In that day, there'll be no more temptation, no more trials to endure, no more sickness. I'm glad someone's looking forward to it, even if it's only just moms (laughs) and myself. No more sickness, no more sin. Time will be no more. And what we have done here on earth will count. Think about your priorities and what influences your life. What do we choose to watch on TV? What do we click onto on our news feeds? What social media platforms are we listening to and learning from? Are they drawing us towards our heavenly goal? Or are they keeping us focused on the temporary things and the past we should let go of? Social media is full of influencers. They recognise the power people have to influence others. And they harness the power to actively influence others. What influences are you allowing to shape you? Are they helping you towards your heavenly calling? Now we come to Paul's closing appeal. It's an appeal for steadfastness and unity. And here we discover what Paul's crown and joy is. Therefore, my friends, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. We've all seen runners straining towards the finish line to gain their prize. The picture I see when I read this verse was a little bit different. Have you seen those long-haul marathons where the runners, as they get near the end of the race, sometimes get tired and weary. 
They might have sprained their ankle and have an injury. They might just be plain exhausted. And then you see another runner come up alongside them and help them through the line. That's what I saw when I read this passage. Paul was running the race for himself, but he was taking as many people he could across that line. And that's what was making him write that letter to the Philippians from a prison cell because he still wanted to connect with them and help them on their journeys across the finish line. Paul's goal is to live well as he can on earth. His prize is his citizenship in heaven. Paul's joy and crown were his fellow friends. How do we stay the course and make it to the finish line? How do we, like Paul, cheer others on and encourage them onto their goals, helping them stay the course? How do we help our children to stay the course and remain focused on the goal? Last week, Andrew gave the young people some advice about friendship. I think he'd been peeking at my notes. He said, surround yourself with good friends who have the same values. Friendships are a huge influencing factor on how well we complete our race. They help us towards our goals or they can distract us and lead us away from our goals. When we were in Sunday school a few weeks ago, we, Jack was playing a little game with the kids. You've probably played it before. I went to the shop and I bought a something and then someone adds it on and everyone has to remember it well Jack was doing a version when I am at school I learn because we were looking at talents and how we use our talents and um, we got past the few first few they remembered fine and then we got to this one lad and he couldn't remember and he sat there you could see the disappointment he was the first one out of the race so to speak and there was disappointment in his eyes we got to the next one and everyone started looking a bit serious. They thought, oh, is this one going to get knocked out? But they managed it. Just about they managed it. And then we got to the oldest person in the class. I thought, oh, they'll, they'll get through it really easily. But they didn't. They got it wrong. They got it in the wrong order. They were out. The next person round made it really difficult. They added in, I go to school, and I learn to say really long words like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And the group just roared. They're like, that's so hard. You're making it so hard for everyone now. <laughs> the next person following them was the youngest person in the class that day. And everybody was on their seats. Is he going to remember it? And I'm thinking... He doesn't stand a hope of remembering it. He started. The first lad who was out suddenly sat right up to get this lad's attention, connected with him and started giving him actions so that he could complete. And then the rest of the group clicked on and they were all on the edge of their seats, just willing for each member of the group to get it all right and helping them through. And I said to them at the end of that game, I said, that's what friendship's really about, helping each other. I said, you need to be surrounding yourself with people who help you to achieve your goals, who cheer you on, people who want to see you succeed in life. And that's what we need to do as well. We need to be surrounding ourselves 
with others who share our values and want to see us succeed. Those who do all they can to help us cross that line. In the kids and youth ministry, they make really good friendships that help them navigate through the field of dual citizenship of living on earth, but focusing on heaven. Parents, if you want to help your kids stand firm, help them connect with kids that share these values. Intentionally make church a priority where they can mix with people who cheer them on and help them. As a kids and youth pastor, I am incredibly proud of our young people and children. They have visibly been pushing through things, taking every opportunity they can. It's not easy being a teen in this age of media and influencers, but they press on, they keep showing up, and they keep staying the course. They're shining for Jesus, and what's a real blessing is they're bringing their friends along too. When we intentionally develop our friendships, we place ourselves in a strong position. We need to surround ourselves with people who influence as well and cheer us on, share our values. This is a key factor in standing firm. In kids' ministry and youth ministry, they can learn from people who can help them, who have walk the walk, got the experience. There's people there they can learn from and teach. There's people there they can walk alongside who are running that journey with them and it's, they can help their friends along the way too. So they have three levels of friendship. One that helps pull them up, one that helps them move forward and one where they're helping other people up. And that's a model of friendship that will help us all stand firm in our journeys too. We're looking to people who can help us, running alongside those doing the journey with us. But we're also saying, come on, how can I help you get over that line as well? Um, I've got a medal here. I've only ever run one 10K. But on the ribbon it says finisher. And this... I was reminded of when Paul said about his crown and his joy. His crown and his joy when he gets to heaven won't be a number of medals. It will be, his medal will be the people who are there. I saw in an article the other day where a marathon runner was complaining because they got to the end of their marathon and there was no medals. And I thought, Paul would be really disappointed if he gets to heaven and finds lots of people haven't got there so when we look at our friends and the people we know we need to help them and make sure that they're finishers alongside us and help them to press on and take hold of everything that Christ took hold of them for so stand firm press on we can only stand firm when we're pressing forward unite with others for the journey intentionally develop those friendships friends you learn from friends you walk alongside and friends you teach and help set an example for this morning can we stand together and declare individually and collectively those powerful words of Paul as we finish can we stand and declare those words that he wrote
I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen.